awesome, Jesus. God, above all else, save me, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Above all else, Lord, I must be saved, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. I worship You. I praise You and I magnify Your name, O oh God. Hallelujah, Jesus. I love You tonight. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. It is striking when we hear the story of heaven. It is not the single voices that are heard, but it is the unified voices that will be resounding in heaven's court. We need to never, ever lose the strength and the beauty of our unified voice as opposed to our single voice. We are brothers and sisters, all children united by one spirit. God's emphasis is not upon your individuality. It is upon the unity of his body. It's the only place where our great American dream and our great American country and, and, and political system and ethos runs counter to God's. When it comes to my relationship with other human beings, I am glad to live in a country where my individuality is protected. But when it comes to my relationship with God, he calls me to be submitted to him and to you. And when we are in that place of unification through him, that is where our creator is pleased. As I listen to the music ebb away and as we sang, and there's a beauty in our unified voice might not be polished enough to record. It might not be spectacular enough to wow. But there is a spiritual power in our unified voice. And I don't just speak of music, but I speak of that as an icon or an example of a greater principle. Never, never, never lose the unification of the body through the spirit. We do not achieve unity by human means. We are unified by our submission to one another as unto him. And he's the one who unifies the body. Aren't you glad to be a part of the body? I sure am. There's nothing that beats it. Nothing that beats it. Praise God. Praise God. You all may be seated except for Sister Iris. And Brother Alice, you have to stand up. A little birdie tweeted in my ear that this Thursday is Brother Alice and Sister Iris's 50th wedding anniversary. I honor you. Praise God. 50 years. 
Now, I got good news. I'm going to beat the two of you on age because that lady and I, if we live long enough, I'm going to get there at 74 years of age, and she's only going to be a ripe young 72 years of age when we hit the 50. I don't know how we're going to make it, though. 16's been a long haul. So I salute you. We'll make it. Well, I believe we will. I just said I didn't know how we were. I believe we're going to do it. I just don't know how we're going to do it. But I salute both of you. We'll give them another hand. Amen. They are a fun couple to pastor. I, uh, at Brother Owen's wife's funeral this past Friday, uh, Brother Alice was out on the door, as he likes to do for us, and he had gotten a chair, I believe, and Sister Iris was sitting in it. And uh, he said to me, he said, I got a chair for me, but I can't use it. <laughs> and I can't recreate for you the way the two of them went back and forth, but I thought, that's pretty cool. And I'll tell you, it wasn't all sweet, warm nothings either. They both were giving it to each other. And I thought, now that's my kind of couple, just being downright ornery to one another. I have a feeling that's kind of the way it's going to be with Reg and I, at least from me. I don't know. She's such a sweet thing. But she's, she's, getting, she's getting barbed up. She's living with me enough. She's getting some hackles on her. And she can give it with the best now. So... Uh, it's going to be fun, but we honor you, and very, uh, very pleased to have you with us. Let's go for 60. What do you say? Amen. Let's go for 60. Amen. 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 Now, if you were um, not here last week, first of all, I want to say to you, you need to. It is available to you. Go and listen to part one. Go and listen to Daniel at the king's table. All right, there is no way that I can, in a few sentences, which I'm going to say right now, uh, encapsulate everything that I brought to you about Daniel at the king's table. But what I do want to remind us of as we move into Daniel at the golden statue is that Daniel demonstrated for us a faith in God that was miraculous to watch. His belief to challenge God according to the terms of His Word. Even when all of His circumstances pointed to that God had turned His back on Daniel. On the people as a whole, but in particular upon Daniel. And so Daniel's faithfulness, and you remember this series, if you can't see it here, I apologize, but a series on faith and restoration. And tonight... We need to look at an aspect of the story of Daniel that I hope will not be overly negative, but it is a story of failure. It is not a story of success. And um, one of the assumptions that I want to make clear to you again is that I am assuming that Daniel wrote this story. So we are hearing him trying to express his story. 
I'd like to begin tonight with the golden statue, and that is in Daniel chapter 3. We are told that King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. This is a uh, pretty big statue. 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And I'm not sure from these specifications how deep, but you can extrapolate it. It had to have some depth to it or it would have flopped over. And he set it up on the plain of Dora in the province of Babylon. So he set it up on a plain where massive crowds could gather around this dominating sculpture, this golden statue. And the implication is, is that it was a golden statue of himself. While it does not spell this out in Daniel, the implication is, is that it was an image of him as the king. Verse 2, then he sent messages. And I want you to pay close attention to this verse uh, for future reference. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. And so you see he starts with the high officers, officials, governors, and in descending order of rank he goes down all the way down to the provincial officials. You know, it goes down to the local town's mayors. He sent to every level of his administration structure of the kingdom of Babylon, and he said, I want you to come to the plain of Dora, and there I want you to help me dedicate this statue. So all these officials came, and they stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. So the implication of this is that it did not just extend to the kingdom of Babylon, but it extended out to those areas that Babylon had conquered. Because this is people of all races and all nations and all languages. When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, you are to bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, they bowed to the ground and they worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. But some of the astrologers went to the king and informed on the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods, and they do not worship the gold statue you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
that you refuse to serve my gods or to worship the gold statue I have set up. I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace, and then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and they threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, their turbans, their robes, and other garments. And because the king in his anger had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers as they threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. But suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men, unbound, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, the officials, the governors, and the advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command. And were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb. And their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other god who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. This is not Nebuchadnezzar trying to smoke out the people who don't believe in his God. This is Nebuchadnezzar acting the way a pagan king acts. He does not know any better. He worships gods 
who are nothing but images. In fact, there's a good chance that as king, he has already come to realize that the gods are tools in his political tool pouch to be manipulated for his strength. And so he does something which is very normal. He creates an image, perhaps even an image of himself. And he calls a festival day, and he exercises his authority, both in calling them to the plain of Dora, but also to impress them with the grandeur of his wealth and of his power. Ninety feet tall and nine feet wide. Perhaps his visage upon that statue all of gold. An impressive sight. But there were three young men who had followed the faith of Daniel. They had also, following his lead, put their lives at risk. They also had asked the one put in charge of their food to bring them only vegetables and water. And they had watched their God show up and show out. And these young men had become rulers within the palace and within the province of Babylon. They had succeeded, as we saw at the end of chapter 1. They had progressed. And these young men stood there on the plain of Dora. And all of the music, the fanfare, they could see, I'm sure, because of their positions of power and of authority within the administration of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, they could see the king. They were not among the masses, but rather they were in the box seats, if you will. And they could see him standing there in all of his regalness and all of his power. And the music played and the waves of people began to bow. And you would see the thousands bow before this statue. But they had followed a man of faith. They had followed a young man who, despite losing his identity, losing his, his very manhood, despite you losing his, his cultural background and his city and having been ripped away from it, who had believed in a God, they followed that young man to have faith in God. And so again, standing there on the plains of Dora, they exercised that faith. They did not bow. They had not prompted the first step of faith. Daniel had. It had been Daniel who had spoken for them. We can assume that perhaps they had had conversations quietly in, 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 in their rooms before Daniel spoke. But it was Daniel who had spoken on their behalf. It was Daniel who had led for them. But here we find that they, the three, stood. They exercised again that same faith. And they did not bow. Surely if eating the king's meat was a violation of God's commandment, very clearly they knew, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto me any graven images. So there they stood. Somewhere in the sea of people, they stood. 
Nebuchadnezzar seems to have been so caught up in the, in the pomp and the circumstance of the moment that he did not even notice it, but somebody was peeking. Somebody brought their head up and looked around. Somebody noticed. And they came to the king and they said, King, you got a problem. There are some Jews who are not bowing, and their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They will not bow. They have not bent their heads, their shoulders, and their knees to this statue. We read that Nebuchadnezzar is livid with anger. But he pauses the whole ceremony. His day has already been besmirched by a problem. His authority has already been questioned, and he brings these young men in. And ostensibly, if I read the story correctly and read between the lines, everybody's just standing there. The word goes out, be still and wait. And these young men come before the king, and they stand there in his presence, and he looks at them, and he points out the fiery furnace which he must have had built and prepared right there. And he said, did you not hear me? Did you not hear the authority with which I spoke? Did you not understand what I commanded you to do? Do you not understand what world you're living in? Do you not understand that I am the king of this world? Do you not understand you must bow? And three followers. Three young men who had followed the faith of Daniel. looked at that king. The blazing furnace right there. They looked at him, his face contorted in rage. This is a man that is used to getting what he wants and when he wants it. And they spoke as if they were king. King, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. I want everybody to just very slow down for just a moment and hear the words, hear the response, hear how they carried themselves. All of the proceedings have been put on a pause. The flames can be heard crackling right there. The king's face is contorted. The might and the power of Babylon is on display. The statue stands there gleaming in the sun on the plain of Dora. And the king has just told them, I'll give you one more chance. Is it really true you do not serve my gods? Is it really true you will not bow down to this statue? Do you not understand this is my world? Do you not understand I have all the power? Do you not understand I run things here and you will do what I tell you to do? And the first words out of their mouths is, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into this blazing furnace, the God whom we do serve. It's one thing to say you don't serve the gods of the world. 
It is one thing to say you don't serve the king who claims he runs everything. And it's another thing to say you serve another. The God whom we serve is able to save us. He is bigger than you. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. See, these boys had learned from Daniel's faith. They had walked with him through those ten days, eating that vegetables and drinking that water. And they had, they had seen the hand of God operate. And in chapter 2, which I'm going to come back to in just a moment, they had seen God operate with Daniel. In carrying out the promises of his favor when Daniel had challenged the Lord according to the terms of his word. These young men had faith that they had learned from their friend. He said, we don't have to defend ourselves, king, because we serve a God who will deliver us out of your furnace. He is bigger than your power. You do not run the world. But let's just make it clear, even if he doesn't choose to exercise his authority, even if he doesn't choose to save us, king, let's be clear about something. You will never have us serve your gods, and we will never worship the gold statue. Burn us if you must, but you will never. You can give us one, two, or five million more chances. There is never a possibility. No matter what happens, we have made a decision that your gods and your statue and your authority will not be served. Where did that come from? These are emasculated, renamed, yanked out of their culture, cut off from their families, young men. Where did that come from? The power of the example of Daniel's faith. Faith upon faith. It was one thing to look at the king's chamberlain and then to the one designated by the king's chamberlain or chief of staff to uh, say, hey, give us vegetables and water. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have taken it to a whole other level. They have stepped into a whole other realm. They are operating according to a whole level of commitment that, that really seems based upon the consequences to go above and beyond Vegetables and water versus the king's table. They're not just talking now to the king's chief of staff. They're not just talking to the designated person. They are looking at the king. Never. I'm here tonight to say to you that the faith of God and the faith in God that he wants to build within your life from past circumstances, has an absolute intended purpose. And that purpose is that you will reach points within your life when the kings of this world will step into your space and they will look at you and they will say, I run your world. I control your destiny. 
I am the one who has all the power, and you will do what I tell you to do. And at that moment, those moments of taking the steps of faith and God showing up and showing out are meant to build your faith to a place that you can speak with an authority that goes beyond your station and goes beyond your circumstances. That you can look at the kings of the world when they exercise their authority and when they threaten you with all that they're going to do to you and look at them and say, I will never serve you. You do not run my life. There's a God whom I serve who has the power and the authority to undo what you are able to do to me. But even if he chooses not to exercise that authority, let's be perfectly clear. I will never serve your gods and I will never serve your statue. There is no president or king or queen that can even begin to understand the power that a son or a daughter of God exercises when they find themselves through faithfulness over little standing in a place of faith. been around some intelligent people I've been around powerful people before I've watched the way they operate but I have learned a long time ago I used to sit on the front pew on the left side of that fellowship hall and I would watch a man who struggled to come up with the right words I would watch a man who was not eloquent with words and I would watch him under the anointing of God begin to preach it wasn't every sermon but there were some where that anointing came down and the Almighty God spoke directly through him. And I would sit with my mouth wide open and I would yearn to feel that kind of power. There is no one who exercises that kind of power except the children of God. I learned a long time ago because of the Respect I had for that power that I needed to guard how I conducted myself in this pulpit because there are key moments when I step here that it would not matter who was sitting in this congregation. It would not matter whose authority was in this place. My voice could ring with a sound and with a clarity and with an authority that would not be superseded by anyone or anything That was to be used for God and not be used for me. I knew that God would hold me accountable if I ever used that to hurt his people as opposed to empower his people. It comes from a place of experiences. You have to start with vegetables and water. And if you can't make the step of faith over vegetables and water, you will not make the step of faith on the plain of Dora. But they did. They had followed the faith of Daniel. They followed his lead and his example. And now they find themselves in a showdown with the most powerful king at that time in history. 
in all the world. Known for his power and his grandeur. They weren't even really respectful. You see, when it comes to a showdown with the kings of this earth, when the kings of this earth begin to pick a fight with you, Christian, it is not time to be respectful. It is time to order them. Now, if you make the mistake of doing that over things that are just simply personal preference, you're going to find that God does not have your back, and you're going to be in a heap of trouble. But there are certain key points when it is time to look at that king who is flaunting his power. It might be a human being, but ultimately it goes back to a spirit that I preached to you about on the battlefield that wants to fight with you, that wants to intimidate you, that wants to over-impress you, that wants to make you think that he's in control of everything because he's the prince and the power of the air. And it is in those moments that those small steps of faith, eating vegetables and water and seeing God back it up, it is in those moments when I am challenging a church to exercise the faith of Daniel and the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and speak with the same strident tone. We will never serve your gods. You can kill us. We personally think God's going to thwart your plan. But even if he doesn't, not happening. Some of you are wondering why it is that life is struggling. I'm telling you why. It is time for you to take the steps of faith that build your faith to the place that you're able to have a showdown with the kings of this world. This is not a personality thing. This is a faith thing. You don't have to say it like I say it. But you got to say it. You got to do it. My children, you need to hear me. This is why I'm raising you the way I'm raising you. Because there will come a day when the kings of this world will step into your life. They will look at you and they will offer you great things. They will offer you all kinds of things. And they will threaten you with taking away things. And you need to understand that there is only one God. And he's the only one you serve. And he's the only one who controls your life. No boss runs your life. No circumstance runs your life. No human being runs your life. And you need to speak to the spirits of that world that are going to try to move you away from your God and say, never, never will we serve you. Take my house. Take my cars. Take my children. Take my wife. Do the worst you got to do. I believe God will thwart you. But even if he does not exercise his authority, I will never serve you. You don't get there overnight, Vincent, Caleb, and Marcus. You get there over cumulative, small faith steps. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did it. I asked you, 
Where was Daniel? Where was Daniel? We read in chapter 2 that Daniel tells us that after he and his fellow cohorts, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, are elevated to positions of authority in the king's administration. So they've done well, they're the best, the king finds them to be the best, and so he places them within his administration. There comes a time, and I'm not going to, for sake of time, read the whole thing to you, but in chapter 2, you can read, there comes a time that the king has a dream. The problem is, is that the king needs it interpreted, and they, and, and, and they can't interpret it. And so there's a problem with his functioning. And the bottom line is, is that God has blessed Daniel due to his faithfulness with the ability to do it, and so Daniel does. And upon Daniel successfully doing what the king wanted, we're told in verse 46 of chapter 2, that then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burnt sweet incense before him. The king said to Daniel, Truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. Then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all his wise men. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon, while Daniel remained in the king's court. I ask you again, where's Daniel? He's ruler over the province of Babylon, the capital providence. He's ruler. He's head over the king's wise men. He's the chief wise man. And Daniel tells us, in addition to being ruler over the whole province of Babylon, in addition to being the chief of his wise men, it says that Daniel, while Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego move out from the city of Babylon throughout the province of Babylon, Daniel remains in the king's Daniel has told us where he is. He's the ruler of the province of Babylon. He's the chief wise man, and he's remained at the king's court. What are the chances that when King Nebuchadnezzar makes a 90-foot-tall statue on the plain of Dora in the province of Babylon and sends messages to all of his provinces calling the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue, and all these officials came. What is the chance that Daniel isn't there? I submit to you tonight, none. And there's a reason that Daniel tells us and juxtaposes chapter 2 and chapter 3. Daniel doesn't tell us everything that happened in his long career of serving all the kings of Babylon from Nebuchadnezzar to the end of the kingdom and on into the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians all the way to the great King Cyrus. He doesn't tell us everything he experienced. He doesn't tell us all of his life. It would be a huge book. Daniel has very specifically chosen the stories he's told us. 
told us the first one because it told you the faith that he had and how God's blessings came to him. God's blessings upon him led to the blessings of men. I want everybody to hear me on that. Faithfulness to God leads to God's blessings. God's blessings lead to men's blessings. Where was Daniel? Daniel was at the golden statue. But the king had appointed Daniel to a high position. He had given him many valuable gifts. He had made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon. He had made him chief over all his wise men. And he had placed him at his court. Daniel had been bought. He remembered his friends. He spoke to the king and says, hey, there's three guys that need to come with me. The king had responded, had given them positions, had appointed them to important positions. Probably that's the reason why they stood out so clearly when all bowed and they did not. Daniel tells us not just of the success of his faith, but he also tells us of a failure of faith. He'd been bought. I ask you tonight, has the king of this world been able to buy you? It's one thing for Daniel to stand there and to have been faithful over a dietary command and to have failed to keep the Shema. But Daniel's failure of faith was even bigger than that. I believe it haunted him for the rest of his life. Because he stood there. And not only did the sound of the music prompt him to bow. To comply with the commands of a king who was not his ultimate king. I'm not here to tell you to be a bad employee. Just don't forget you don't work for them ultimately. I'm not telling you not to do your job. Not to love your husband or your wife. Not to care for your children. But I'm here to tell you that at the end of the day, they are not the final king in your life. You can be a good ruler. You can carry out your job. You can work hard. You can expend yourself. But at the end of the day, there is only one Lord. And He is the only one we serve. That is why you've been bought with a price. That is why his name is placed upon you in baptism. That is why his blood has washed away your sins. That is why you are not your own. You are his. But Daniel did not just stand there and then bow when the music played. But Daniel, as the chief wise man, Daniel, as the ruler of the province of Babylon, 
would have had oversight over the very men who called the king's attention to his friends. Go and read the book and you will find that astrologers were under the category of the king's wise men. They were the ones the king wanted to destroy in chapter 2 when, they, when Daniel bailed them out by telling what the dream was and meant. They were under his direct oversight. And he would have, as the ruler of the capital province, have been standing right there with the king. He would have heard the people say to the king, there are some Jews that are not bowing. And he didn't speak up. I personally believe that this is why in the book of Daniel, Daniel never, as the predominant name, uses his Babylonian name. Because at this moment, he hid behind his Belteshazzar identity. They brought them before the king. You can imagine these three young men standing there in front of the king, their eyes looking over at their friend, the one who had introduced them to the very faith that had produced this action. He was silent. The king threatened. The king contorted. The king postured. The friend was silent. And the friend stood there and watched his three comrades bound picked up, thrown into the furnace, and said not a word. At the end of chapter 2, as I read, when Daniel foretold and told the meaning of the dream, you find the king said to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings. The king identified the only God as the God of Daniel. But in chapter 3, as I've already read to you, when the three Hebrew boys were cast into the fiery furnace, and like they thought, based upon the faith of Daniel, God showed up. Fire only extinguished the power of the king. There's a whole sermon there. I don't have time tonight to preach it. But I'm telling you that all power in heaven and in earth is in my king's hands. And when the kings of this earth try to exercise his power, all it does is cuts off their power. It's one thing to drink your water and eat your veggies and have your face shine. 
it's a whole nother thing to be walking in a fiery furnace where just getting close to the flames kills your captors and to be walking with one like the Son of God. When he yelled in and when they stepped out, God hadn't just maintained their lives. He maintained every hair on their head. He had maintained all of their turbans, all of their robes, every piece of them. He'd maintained them so well, they didn't even smell like smoke. Now, those of you that have been around people who smoke, you know how easy it is for your stuff to smell like smoke. They were in the midst of a raging, burning fire. And God exercised his power to such an extent that you would not even know that the king had touched them. Their bonds were gone. Their robes were pristine. Their hair was fine. And they didn't even have a whiff. But the tragedy... Is that when they stepped out of the furnace and when Daniel, who had kept his mouth shut and bowed, he kept his mouth shut when they were brought, he kept his mouth shut when they'd been thrown in. When Nebuchadnezzar opened his mouth, I want you to hear the contrast. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel was not in the picture. He was standing there, but he had lost his identity. Being here is not enough. You have to stand up to the gods of this world. And you don't do that overnight. You do that by the building of your faith through circumstances like eating your vegetables and drinking your water. Like seeing your friend exercise the gift God blessed him with because of his faithfulness. Some of you are going to be offended by this, but you've got to understand something. I was raised by two wolves. My mother sat night after night after night in our family altar. I was filled with the Holy Ghost. I was called to preach. She would look at me with a ferociousness that only you can understand if you lived with my mother. And none of you did, so you don't understand it. She would look at me and she would say, Son, you need a relationship with God. I would cry. I would yell. I would get highly frustrated. And she would calmly but intensely look at me again and say, Son, you need a relationship with God.
was she talking about? She understood there comes a day where the kings of this world make their move. They'd love for you not to ever exercise faith. But they'll also take, the devil don't mind you exercising some faith and God's blessings coming. And because of God's blessings, then man's blessings. Some of you are new Christians. God would love to snuff out your relationship with God right away. But if he can't, snuff it out right away. He'll be glad to let you get into the blessings that come from faith. And let the blessings of man come because everything you touch has the blessings of God. And then buy you. What stops that? You've got to know who your God is. Remember a few years back, my mom and I were discussing some folks, not in this church, that were waffling on some things, some tenets, not opinions and not preferences, but absolute, undeniable, Word of God-founded tenets. Remember my mom talking about them. I was driving the car. She was sitting in the back seat. Remember I looked up in the rear view window and I said to her, I said, Mom, you know that if you walk away from these tenants, I will deny you publicly. She got a little miffed. She got a little mad. I remember where we were driving. I stopped the car because we were supposed to stop the car and I turned around in the seat and I looked at her and I said you did this to me you sat there in that living room night after night after night after night telling me that a superficial relationship with God was not enough my infilling of the Holy Ghost was not enough my call of God was not enough I had to know God enough that it didn't matter who stood up or who bowed down. I would never serve the gods of this world. I've said it before. The last time I said it, God filled you with the Holy Ghost. I say it again. I love you, but I will never serve the gods of this world. You must be dedicated to God totally. No ifs, no ands, no buts. You don't have to be perfect. That's why you got repentance. Some of you are bought. You're not bought to go be a sinner. You're bought by the blessings of God that came from past faithfulness that has led to man blessing you. But you're bowing. How do you know, preacher? Same way my mama knew I didn't know God. Preacher, this is too intense. Hey, 
It's pretty intense to look at a king who's threatening to throw you into the fiery furnace and say, hey, dude, first of all, don't have to explain myself to you. Second of all, God can overcome all your power. Third, even if he doesn't, mark my words, I will never serve your gods, and I will never bow to your statue. That, I mean, that, that, that's, that's pretty intense. To do so, your heart is breaking because your friend who taught you that faith is standing there dressed in the robes of his new identity. He's already bowed. And he's not even speaking up for you. Where was Daniel? He was there. He was on the plains of Dora. And he'd been bought. He'd been bought. What do friends do? When friends are wrong, you do what's right. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not follow Daniel that day. If I ever leave the faith that I have been teaching you, you do not follow me. Love of our brother or our sister never extends to violating the faith that we learned. Never. It is clear from chapters 1, 2 of Daniel that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had followed Daniel. We don't even know how many years. It could have been a number of years. It seems like this was all real fast. But remember, Daniel's only telling us a few of many stories. Somewhere Daniel had lost his way. And he who had led is now not to be followed. It's not good enough for you to know God through me. Every new Christian, you will come to know God through the discipleship of another Christian. It is how God has chosen to do it. But it is not enough to follow another Christian. You must develop your relationship with God so that you know that God for yourself. So that if, God forbid, that Christian who led you through the faith experiences that showed your God to be who he claimed to be, ever turns from that God you still know what to do because you serve and know personally that God for yourself
Daniel was at the golden statue. And Daniel failed miserably. Not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar said praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn from limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to even higher positions in the province of Babylon. You do not get to be jealous or angry at the blessings of God upon the lives of others when you refuse to say to the king, I will never serve your gods and I will never bow to your images. You don't get to step up and say, hey, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, hey, buddy. My God, too. It wasn't your God, Daniel. You were silent. Young people, that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is an example of true leadership. It is one thing to eat your vegetables and drink your water. But it is another to do what you are supposed to do when your friends are not. It's easy to be faithful to God, church, when everything's going right. What are you doing when everything's going wrong and even your friends are standing right there looking at your circumstance and are silent. I, I don't even have the words, and I'm drawn to a close, I don't even have the words to express to you what I feel that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego must have been feeling standing there. The awesome anointing of God that must have been upon them as they spoke those words of power to that king, but that absolutely depressing pit in their stomach as they looked sideways and saw Daniel, the one who had led them in faith to start with, quiet and unwilling to stand. Pray that I never have to choose that, my children, but you mark my words. I will go into the furnace. I will not follow you 
into any place where the kings of this world have bought you. I can't do it. And I can't follow any of you either. And if you know the God that I'm preaching to you tonight, you'll never follow me if I choose Daniel's course. I remember my dad preached a sermon. I don't remember the specifics of it, but I remember the title. I know it came at a very important juncture in the life of this church. When your friends become your enemies. This is a perfect example. Daniel had led them in faith, but had now become an enemy. Okay, preacher, you drop the bomb, and it feels like a bomb zone. What are we supposed to do with this? All of you who are standing who are speaking to the kings in your life and the friends around you, maybe even those who brought you to God, are bending to their pressures. I say to you, do not follow them. Pray for them. Hurt for them. But do not Follow them. And to those of you who have been bought, you need to tonight cry out to God for forgiveness. Because there is no employer, there is no spouse, there is no child, there is no house, there is no job, there is no position, none of that matters when the kings of this world use it to cause you to bow down to their gods. No excuse. No excuse. When my friend Joey Payton said to me that he thought he knew where Daniel was, I'd never thought about it, to be honest with you. It just never dawned on me, because the way the story's always told is the focus, and rightly so, was on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So we always tell the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it just kind of slips by, where, where's Daniel? And when he said it to me, one of my colleagues who he wrote this paper for said, you're destroying one of my heroes. You better not have heroes other than Jesus Christ because all humanity fails. I got good news. There's one more sermon. But that's next week. Right now, you need to grapple with what my mama said to me 
night after night after night after night. Do you have a personal, direct relationship with your God such that if necessary, as Jesus said it, you are willing to deny father and mother, husband and wife, children and friends for his name. I will bend over backwards on all elements that aren't ironclad within the word. I will give you every bit of space that I can possibly give you in your humanity, even if I think that you are humanly wrong. But when the gods of this world walk into your life and assert their claim and you bow, I can't bow with you. And just as surely as Daniel became Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's enemy, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that moment also became Daniel's enemy. I told you I was raised by two wolves. Maybe that doesn't make anything to you, but my ancient history background, it does, because there's an old myth about how Rome was established and one of their founders was raised by some she-wolves. The point of Rome's history of that is that the wolves were put into Rome a, a fierceness that came from their founder and carried forward. I've told you, and I do not mean disrespect. I am privileged and honored to be able to pastor you. But first and foremost, I pastor here, not just for you, but because I honor my father and my mother and I allow them to live out their days in the place that they established for God. I told you they're not perfect people. But they are fierce people. They have not always done everything right. They have failed. They know about faith and restoration. But if you don't like fierce, you need to run from this place very quickly and go find some place where you can play church. I didn't want to be this way. This is why I didn't want to be a preacher. I wanted to be Daniel. But I'm not now. And I won't be. I could tell you it's about winning souls, and it is, but it's not even about that. It's about a God who went to a cross and died for me, who forgave me of every one of my sins, even though I didn't deserve to be forgiven. And that God deserves more devotion than I give to anything else in this world.
And I am a passionate guy who knows how to be pretty devoted to a lot of things. So it means, at least for me, the level of devotion that that God gets is really high. So hear me, Satan. Build your images. Try to buy me. And by almighty God's grace, I declare to you, I shall never serve your gods. And I will never bow to your images. Because my God, able to deliver me but even if he doesn't burn me if you must destroy me if you can it didn't happen I will not bow I will not serve you Keep pulling at the hooks of sin in my flesh. I still will not serve you. Keep tempting me with my desires. And I still will not serve you. Exert pressure on my family. Cause confusion to come into my life. I still will not serve you. For there is only one God. And His name is Jesus. And I will serve no other God. Not money, not fame, not fortune, not family, nothing. Him alone. I'm done. This altar's open. Would you come and pray? Jesus, I worship you, Lord. Jesus, I worship you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Almighty God, I love you, Lord. God, take this word, Lord. And cause it to do what you intended it to do. Hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus.